Hello and welcome to another episode of The Way Out is In Podcast. I am Joe Confino, working at the intersection of personal transformation and systems change. And I am Brother Fab Hu, a Zen Buddhist monk in the tradition of Zen Master Thich Nhat Hanh in the Plum Village community. The way out is in. Today, we are going to talk about um, Zen Master Thich Nhat Hanh as um, a simple monk, because actually most people um, think of Thai, as he's known, um, as one of the greatest spiritual teachers of the 20th century and the early 21st century. But Brother Fapu, you were his attendant for 17 years. And I think what's what would be really lovely is to know the man behind the the robes, I suppose, because mm. um, most people know Ty through his uh, books, hundreds of thousands, millions of copies sold, and also through his uh, Dharma talks, which are online. But mm. very few people know him as just a human being. Mm. Yes, I'll be really honored to take this opportunity to also share the stories and the experience that I've had throughout my years with him and seeing him in daily life. And I think this is uh, something that a lot of friends who have heard about our teacher wouldn't have had the chance to experience. And today, um, very special, we are sitting in his hut in the upper hamlet in Plum Village. And the hut's name is Sitting Still Hut. And I remembered the first few days as his attendant um, when I was in the hut. Tai said, to be with Tai, you have to know how to sit still. And it's true to the name of the hut. And as a meditation practitioner, one of our core practices is learning to enjoy sitting meditation. And we have to see that meditation is not labor, but meditation is something that that you can enjoy in daily life. And this is something that Thai, which means teacher in Vietnamese, this is why we call him Thai, even for all of um, our Western uh, our Westerner friends who come here, they also call him Thai. This is something that I always sense when I'm around Thai, is that he enjoys meditation and he he's able to also transmit this joy by just his presence. And I think this was something that was very re- remarkable for me. And Brother Fapu, we, uh, as you say, we're sitting in Thai's hut, but, but for those who are listening, why don't we just describe it a bit? Because we are... We are looking, he's got a lovely veranda overlooking the French countryside, so we're on top of a hill. Mm. But, but what strikes me is just how simple it is. You know, it's, it's just this tiny little hut with a small bedroom stroke sitting room and a small kitchen. But but just just, just describe where we're yes. sitting. Yes, um, so the hut is, it's inside and outside is uh, um, with wood. And when you come into the hut, um, you will see a small altar where 
where every morning we will light an incense when uh, our teacher wakes up. You will see a small corner of a tea table with uh, a teapot, uh, a tea tray with classic Plum Village teacups. Um, and then you will see his bed, which is on the ground, uh, on the floor, but it it has a, a wooden a wooden frame, frame, which is very low. And then you he will have um, his table where he would write and he would translate sutras as well as write his books and and also write calligraphy. And and I think most classic is his bookshelf, which I love. Which is um, it is it is bricks stack on each other to 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 space out and then a piece of wood a piece of um thick wood and then another few bricks and like that like that and i think uniquely in the upper hamlet hut it is um surrounded by glass windows so that you can enjoy the view and every time tai has a guest tai would tai would tell his guests Take a few minutes to enjoy Tai's TV, <laughs> and and his TV is is Mother Nature. It's the forest. It's the hills. It's the uh, if you're here in the summer times, you might see fields of sunflowers or fields of wheat, and uh, just just being in the hut, um, you can feel very connected to nature because it's also on the slope, and and we're in a forest pretty much, an oak forest. And it's very down to earth, and I think this is what this is what Tai aimed for when he created um, his hut. It's something very simple, simplicity, and nothing extra. Everything that's in the hut is something that he uses, and it has a meaning. And and that's what I, in a sense, want to focus on with you, Fapu. Is is Tai for all his influence, his global influence? He lived the life of a simple monk. And I always remember the Dalai Lama saying he wished he'd just been able to be a simple monk. Um, but actually he 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 was he had all these responsibilities. But Tai also had a lot of responsibilities. He's, he's built a global um, network of monasteries and he's he's been engaged in in so many different um in ways in the world. But but he's man, managed to maintain this total simplicity and um and you know just looking in his uh, room now he's got um his uh, jacket that i remember in all my i think 10 11 years of being here he wore that jacket all the time and it, it was not a smart jacket it was a very basic jacket and i remember one of the monastics telling me that um that they'd bought him a new jacket and had suggested he swapped it and he said no you know this is this is this is fine. It's still working. Yeah, and you know, I think one of one of the one of the practice of a monastic is is humility and humbleness, and and also as a monk, we try to remember that our life is based on simplicity, and in today's in today's day, consumerism is such a addicting um, energy. I would say, like we always want more, and to have a product, it it kind of um, 
also gives you power in a way and it's a kind of fulfillment, right? And the one thing that I've learned with Thai is that when you have something that works for you and that it fits you, it does its purpose, then you practice, I have enough. Meaning I don't need more than one or two of this. And like you have said, you know, Tai has um, that one jacket you see in this hut here, but I, I would say he has about two jackets, like one thick winter one and then one for spring, autumn. And those are the only two jackets that he would wear. And as a monk, one of our practices also when somebody gives us a donation, we also have to accept it because it is a love and it's a, it's a way of appreciation that somebody is showing it. So, and for, for them, it's by giving us something. And if you deny it, then it's like you're up, you are um, not willing to accept their, their, their kindness. But in a community, you can always share and that's actually one of our um, trainings as a as a monk is also when you are offered something and you know you have enough, you learn to share that to the community. And Thai has done that. Um, there were times in my life when Thai saw that in his wardrobe he had too many um, under robes or too many sweaters. So he would do like a, a letting go day and he would tell me to come and to take this um, bag of clothes and bring it to the monk's resident and say, dear brothers, if any of you are lacking anything, um, please see in this bag if there's something you would uh, like to keep. And especially this is from Thai. So it's kind of like also a gift from the teacher. And one of, um, one of the things that um, not many people know is that the long robe Thai wore, he only had, he only wears two. And we rotate those two for years. And many people have wanted to, to give Thai new robes. And, and Thai always say, no, he always smiles. And if he can say, if he, if he can tell them I have enough, then he will. And I just being beside him and through these, through these, these uh, moments of him expressing that, no, Thai has enough gong. Gong means student. Thai has enough stu- uh, gong. Please tell them Thai's appreciation, but Thai doesn't need any more. And that's very powerful. And that is like a lesson that, a lesson that, that I don't hear in a Dhamma talk, but I get to experience it through his daily life. And, and, Humility is something that you have to nourish each day and humbleness, right? You, you can have the aspiration to be humble, but if you are, are also um, not skillful with humbleness, it can also seem like arrogance also. And I think for me, um, being close to Thai, humility comes through action. And it's not through what you say, but it's like through how you live. And that's one of the things that I was always able to to uh, to touch, be in touch with whenever I'm close to him. One example, uh, as an attendant, we are we are trained and we are instructed to help um, f- do the daily tasks. For example, make tea in the morning, uh, fold the blanket um, when our teacher wakes up, 
uh, prepare the meals or wash the uh, wash his dirty clothes. And of course, we are in France, so we have washing machines, and it's very easy for us to just take dirty clothes and put it in the washing machine. But there was one practice that uh, that Tai always did was that he would wash his own socks. And one day, I was a new attendant, and I was very eager to to be the best. <laughs> and I wanted to, you know, it, I think it also, it just come from my love for, for, for Tai and for all he has done for the world and for myself and my family. So one day I was hearing in the restroom in the sitting still hut, the water turning on for a long time. And then you hear, shuk, 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 shuk. so I was like, oh, what is Tai doing? And then I peek in and I see Tai washing his socks. And I said, Tai, let me do that. You don't need to do this. You like, because in my mind, it's like something as little like this, like, let us do this. Like, you should save your energy to save the world. <laughs> and Tai just turned around and he looked at me and he smiled and he said, But Tai enjoys this. And he just continued doing it. And of course, right away, I let go, and I didn't, I didn't um, try to persuade him to allow me to do this. And right away, what what came in my mind at that moment was that this is a a daily activity, a, a kind of chore, daily chore that he's doing to to be reminded of of simplicity. Like, this is something that needs to be done, needs to be clean, and I can do this. I don't need to ask anybody else. I'm still a human being. I'm still part of the community. I'm still a man. It, it is my dirty laundry. I can do it. And, and that, was, that was a moment when I, I was very humbled, and I felt like even somebody with so much influence can still be so simple. And and it's it's really interesting because th- it's not easy. And and the reason I say that is that you know we see in history, in recent history, you know, so many spiritual teachers who get lost in their fame mm. or start to abuse their influence or 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 feel that all the attention they get means that they're very special. Right. And and and, and uh, you know, I've experienced that in my life where when you're given a lot of attention or when people are respecting what you say, you know, it's very easy to say, "Ah, oh, I'm very special. Oh, I'm important." And and it, it's like um it's like we create a persona beyond who we are because actually we don't feel we're enough. So so actually we use that sort of um those compliments to sort of create this persona that that is more than us and it creates actually a lot of unhappiness and disharmony but i'm just wondering beyond the sort of the daily simple practices how tai stayed grounded so what what were his practices that allowed him to say to 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 remain who he is which was his the power actually he had Mm -hmm. was in his is in his humility the community was a great source of um 
of life for Thai, and that helped him be reminded of his aspiration. And I think um, a lot of the times um, we may get lost in our fame is because we lose our beginner's mind or like our our simple aspiration from the beginning, and then we go astray. I think we 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 keep. Aiming for more and more and more, and I think that's when you kind of lose yourself. And for Tai, he shared with us on multiple times that his simple dream as a young monk, when he was growing up, was to have a community where there's freedom, where we can create the practice. The meditations that we can generate each day to nourish our our own spiritual path and to nourish the aspiration, and I think we have to understand that our teacher was growing up during the war, so there was a lot of destruction and there was a lot of um, suffering. So a simple dream like that, I think, during that time was. Maybe it seemed far fetched. Like, like, when can that happen? But we, I, I like to say, like within the mud, the lotus was born, which was like from the war and from his um, engaged um, Buddhist action, calling for peace. Our teacher was exiled from Vietnam, and at one after the um, being exiled, he realized that wow. Now I have to create my community, my new community in the West. And fortunately, Thai never lost his aspiration and lost his hope. And for him to be grounded was number one is the practice. And the practice, when I say practice, it means meditation practice. And meditation, it doesn't mean sitting um, like a statue, looking at the wall and not moving, you know, but. Meditation is having the capacity to really be in the present moment, to connect to oneself, and connect to others. And what gave Tai a lot of joy and happiness is communities. As his students, is his, is the friends that come to Plum Village through the retreats. And whenever Tai hears stories, that thanks to. The teachings and the practices that he has been able to share has transformed people's life. A simple transformation, like somebody who has realized that whenever they are angry at their father, they're angry at themselves. That those kind of transformation are his spiritual nutrients, his spiritual food, and being able to see impact already. On a simple level, just and you don't even need to be famous. You know, you you just you're just an ordinary person who comes here from um, England or America or or even from France or Vietnam, etc. And you come and you can taste the joy of meditation, and you share that to Thai. He feels he his life has a purpose, and his his message. Is being able to help transform people's life that helps him be grounded and and he knows that that's all he has to do. He doesn't need to aim and for anything higher than that. And and one of well, something you know that I've been very aware of is is he's never tried to make uh, 
Buddhism esoteric or the teachings esoteric. There, there, there are so many teachers in the world who who almost try to mystify mm. the message because actually it makes it like, I, I can tell you what to do, um, but you have to work really, really hard or years in order to understand, in order to practice it, that you have to reach a certain level for it to be of value. And, and yet Tai's strength for me is he's done the exact opposite. He's saying that actually you can get the benefits of the practice right now. And also the simplicity of the practice. I, I remember when I interviewed him once, I, I was saying, you know, Tai, you know, there, there's so much, so many problems and crises in the world. You know, how, how do you cope with this? And, and he said, the most important thing is to learn to do one or two things really, really well mm. and then let other people think about what they need to do. And he said, what, what I've learned to do is I've learned to sit and to walk. And, and I thought, well, what, what does that mean? Because, you know, Tai, you've created all these monasteries, all this influence, you've written more than 100 books, you've, uh, you, 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 you go into to politicians, you'll you give talks to business leaders, you have so much. And then I thought about it, and it is because, actually, it's because of the basic practice. I mean, his, everything he's created couldn't have been created if he didn't have this very simple practice. So can, can you just give us a sort of flavor of Tai's view around, you know, making this, this teachings, you know, really accessible rather mm. than, rather than mystifying it? Mm. That's a very um, good question because I'm, I'm trying to like, how do you put this into words, right? I am reminded of my first time to Plum Village in 1996. I grew up in a Buddhist family in Toronto, in um, Canada. And I only kn knew the temple as a place that you go to worship and you kind of, you ask the Buddha for forgiveness if you've done something wrong or you ask the Buddha to bless your, you to pass a test or something like that. And, and, and that's the kind of Buddhism that I knew that I was growing up with. And then when I came to Plum Village, what, the first impression I had was seeing a young monk come to me and bowing to me. And through his bow, I felt his true presence. And that was very impactful because I was only nine years old at that time. So understanding the Dhamma was probably beyond me, <laughs> but what I can feel was very alive. And I think in Thai, how, the way he explained the teachings is to make it into daily life activities. Like he, he tells us like, you know, in Buddhism, we have to learn to identify the simple joys in our life and are the simple happiness. We may think that happiness is something very far away, something that we have to work hard in order to achieve but if you touch the present moment and you are really in touch with what you have right here, right now, are you sure that there's not enough conditions for you to be happy? And, and then that's the theory right now, right? That's a teaching. But then once you practice it, something happens, something changes in you. And I think I felt that when I saw the monks and then when I saw Thai and I saw the nuns in Plum Village because... I felt like they were all able to 
they maybe not everyone was enlightened. <laughs> not everybody was like advanced practitioners or so and so. We would like to idolize monastics because I, I can still see brothers getting frustrated if in the in and nuns um being. Um, rush because of the service they had to do for the retreats because there were so many people. But what I felt through them was the simple joy and simple happiness that they were able to express through their smiles, through the ways of walking, speaking, etc. And I, I would like to say the way that Tai made the teaching so simple is because he showed it just by the way he walked, by the way he was there with us. And that is, I, I would say, is the core of of spirituality, which is like how to to be present. If you you speak about suffering, you speak about enlightenment, and you speak about all of this teaching of Buddha, of the Buddha, but you are unable to be present, then what are you transmitting? And so I think for Tai, he. One of his aspirations as a young monk when he was growing up was that he saw that the teachings of the temple was slowly fading away and not having a connection to society and to especially the younger generation. When the younger generations starts to see that they can't connect to the teachings, it means that it's being outdated and you gotta you gotta renew it. And so Tai wanted to. Just bring like a new flavor, a new, a new, um, a new language to to the way we practice, and to make it more simple. And to, and I think one of the special things um, you will hear in Tai's Dhamma talk is that whatever he's teaching, you're like, oh, I can actually do it right here, right now. I don't need to be in a temple to do it. I don't need to be in a retreat to practice it. I can actually. Be still. Be in touch with my breath. Connect to my body, and suddenly, I am in touch with mindfulness. And so, Tai's way of renewing Buddhism is to make the teachings of the Buddha and the teachings of mindfulness into everyday life. And it's not something that you seek for after ten years or twenty years of practice. Then you say, "I got it." But you can say, "I got it in this." Very moment, and and a lot of um, a lot of his teaching is is using very very simple metaphors. So mm. I mean, you know, the, the, what I found most effective is in a sense when he talks about about nature. Mm. He talks about you know seeing seeing that a cloud never dies. So so rather than trying to help people to understand there's no birth or death in a human being, it's easier to see. The life cycle of a of a cloud, sort of the the hot air rising, forming a cloud, and rain, and then he does these beautiful calligraphies like um, like um, you know the rain is in my tea, mm. and then he talks about you know flowers and 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 I remember writing an article for the Guardian about this, saying that it would be very easy in one sense to misconstrue Thai as naive because mm. it's almost so simple. But what I've but what I've recognised is actually it's deeply profound, and the only reason it's profound is because Thai has gone into the very depth of the complexity of the Buddha's. It's not Buddha's teachings. It's not like he's skirting around the edge or he's just on the surface. It's like it's only when you go very deep into something that you can make it simple. Um, and I always remember my 
my wife Paz, when we were in Spain, we went to the Miro exhibition. And um, and Miro was a was a fantastic realist painter. So his early paintings were were absolutely almost like photographs. And then he had this breakthrough, and he would represent a human being just as a line. Mm. And he could only represent it as a line because he had really become a fantastic realist painter. But that line had a deep resonance. And if someone came along and just drew that line and copied it, it wouldn't hold the same energy. It might look the same, but actually you wouldn't, you would, you would know it was not the same. So, so there's something about Tai's teachings that, that, that because he, in a sense, went deep into the teachings, that he was able to, in a sense, to pull out its essence. Yeah, and, and I think I, I, I also want to say, like, I totally agree with you. Like, his teachings, even though it may seem very simple, like breathe and smile, and some people have perception, like, that's all we do in Plum Village. It's like, breathe and smile, <laughs> breathe and smile. Like, that's the answer to everything. <laughs> and then, you know, I, yeah, I'm going to be honest. Sometimes I get really offended when I hear people criticize us or, like, say, oh, that's all we do. But then I ask myself, yeah, could you breathe and smile? in the midst of the storm and really be calm to know what to do and what not to do, to have clarity, that's when you really have to practice the Dharma. That's when you have to take the intellectual knowledge that you've, you've, um, you've gained and then apply it into today's life. And there is nothing more profound than the basic practice, than the, the capacity to... To, to touch interbeing when you're in a storm in the midst of anger, being angry at somebody else, and then suddenly you realize that you are discriminating against that person, you are trying to punish that person. But if you can be in touch with the nature of emptiness, meaning that that person is more than just that action right there, and see beyond that action, then you have a chance. You have a chance to heal. You have a chance to connect deeper. You have a chance to resolve the conflict without creating more conflict. And you need the basic practice in order to have that kind of clarity to touch non-self, to touch um, interbeing, to touch non-fear and non-discrimination, right? Or else it's all just beautiful notions that we can talk about and explain for hours and hours. But if you cannot do that in daily life, then I don't feel like you have yet have the fruit of meditation. And that is something that Tai has been always able to, to show whenever there are difficulties in the community. He's always able to show the community stability. And I think that is also a power of, of a spiritual teacher is to not be rocked by the storm that come in order to remind, remind everybody to be calm, be still, and let's not overreact to see things more clearly. And you need leaders like that to have that impact on the, the, the multitude of people in the community. And another um, element of Tai is he's a, a community builder. Being a teacher, I think it's easier than being a community builder because you can be a teacher and have students, but not um, not be involved in their everyday life. But Tai 
was very involved with his community because Thai realized that to have a true continuation, he needed to have students and um, not just. Um, I think at the beginning he had more lay students than monastic student. I think he's one of the, like the famous um, Zen teachers that has student at a much later, uh, later age, and he realized that to have a true c- continuation, he needs students who will devote their whole life towards the path and the spiritual spiritual engagement. But in his tradition, and when he started to have hundreds of monastic students, what always amazed me was how he remembered all of his students' name. <laughs> when even I, I can't remember all of their brothers and sisters' name, and I'm sometimes I feel so ashamed of myself. But he has an incredible memory. Is number one, and number two, is he is so connected to the community, and of course he cannot. He cannot, um, he cannot be everywhere in the community's life, right? Because, like, just in Plum Village, we have three hamlets: um, New Hamlet, Lower Hamlet for the sisters' community. Then we have Upper Hamlet, and then a second branch of uh, of the resident is Shengha. and it's a large community. Like right now, in Plum Village, France, we have almost around two hundred monastics, and even during the time that Thai was still healthy, we always had around two hundred monastic, and it was. Very, um, everyone always was very curious. Like, how does Tai know how everything is happening in the community? And it's of course because Tai has a lot of students that he's also connected to, and he and he's always curious of what is going on in the community. But his curiosity is not the curiosity to look for the faults of his students in order to like. To like scold them or anything, but it's to understand his student in order so that he can teach his student more and teach in a way that they can understand and that they can um, have breakthroughs in their practice and and overcome their difficulties. And Tai is a very sensitive person. I think Tai has even said this in in Dhamma talks, like publicly, and and this is very true. And because uh, I, I I'm very close to Tai, there was. There was, whenever one of his students suffers, he suffers. And whenever one of his students um, has has success in their practice, he, I can see him glowing with joy. And one of the things that he always asks us, his students, to do, is to write him letters. Of course, he doesn't have enough time to to see all two hundred students like every. Day, but he nevertheless, Tai says, like never, never miscommunication with Tai. Always try to create that link to Tai, and letters is is one of the ways that you can connect to Tai, so that Tai can understand you more. And Tai reads all the letters that are given to him. And one of my job um, as his attendant is to make sure that that letter gets to him. And I never read the letter, so. Uh, any brothers and sisters listening to this podcast, <laughs> I never peek into the letters, and it's 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 almost it's so sacred that as an attendant, I just feel like this is so important that I need to offer this to Thai. And sometimes some of the letters are so um, uh, are so nourishing to Thai that he would 
he would give it to me. He's like, Papu, read this. Is read this and see one of the transformation of one of the one of the member of the community, and to share that joy also, and and when someone suffers, he does find tries to find a way to support them, and because we're in Thai's hut, so I want to share one of like the first Zen moment I had with Thai and with my first Zen story, right? So. In every hamlet in Plum Village, Kai has a hut or a room that is dedicated to him, and he will spend days, hours, or month or years there, so that 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 building or that room has his energy, and it becomes a sacred place for the community. And then whenever um, Tai is not there, and you feel you want to connect to Tai, you can come into the hut or the room and just sit there to be in touch with his presence. And I think in the Zen spirit or in the Plum Village tradition, because Tai is the founder of our, of our tradition, um, we we always learn to see that Tai is present. What with every activity we do, that's why we when we start something, we always say, "Dear Tai, dear brothers and sisters," so that we know that his presence. We would we would act more mindfully when he's there. So those huts and those rooms that are in the monasteries are to remind the community that even though Tai's form is not here, but his spirit is always here. His continuation is very alive. So first year of attending Tai, whenever Tai has guests, most of the time he would he would greet them in Upper Hamlet, and we this is before the cell phone days. So we would receive a phone call from Sister Chang Kong. Would say and tell the brothers Tai is coming to the to the hamlet, so prepare the hut. And that what does that mean? That means we have to make sure the water is boiled, tea is ready, um, and when Tai arrives, be at the gate of the hut, uh, open the door when Tai comes out, and walk with Tai into the hut, and know the agenda. So that particular day, Tai was meeting up with a sister that just came back from Deer Park Monastery. And and um, my job as an attendant, the first thing I have to do is when Tai and his guests, if even if it's my his students, they are guests, comes in, I have to prepare tea. And so we all came into the hut. We're all sitting in the corner. Tai and the sister is waiting for the tea, and I have so much pressure. It's like <laughs> like I want to make this perfect cup of tea and be praised for it, you know. <laughs> So I'm making this cup of tea and I pass one cup to Tai. Our mindful manner is first you pass, offer a cup to the teacher and then you offer the cup to the guest. But Tai said, when passing the cup of tea, Tai said, let Tai do it. And in my head, I was like, I must have done something wrong. Because even a simple action as giving his guest a cup of tea, he's not letting me do it. So I humbly just sat there, looking at at Tai, and as he was passing his cup, um, the the cup of tea to the sister, which is the guest, he accidentally spilled his cup of tea on the that was on the floor. So I run to the kitchen where we're sitting right now, the dining hall, and I grab a towel, and I and I was about to wipe the spilled tea. And I said, "Let Tai do it." And once again, in my mind, I'm like, 
this is my last day as Tai's attendant. Even cleaning up the mess, he's not letting me do it. And of course, Tai said, "Let Tai do it." So I give Tai the towel. And as Tai was cleaning the um, the spilled tea, Tai started to say a few words, and Tai said, "Tai was the one that spilled the cup of tea. It is Tai's action." So Tai has to clean up Tai's own mess. Tai doesn't need someone else to do it. And suddenly, it clicked in me that he was teaching the sister that was there. So I heard, I only heard that she was coming back because um, she was going through a hard time, and she needed a new environment and to be closer to the the larger community, which is Plum Village, and. I don't know the whole story of of what um, my dear sister what, what what kind of suffering she was going through, but I know she is coming back for support, and so suddenly at that moment, Tai Tai orchestrated that whole situation so that Tai can share that teaching, and Tai said that every time, every in our daily life. It is okay to make mistakes, but we have to stand up and we have to clean our mistakes to continue to move forward. I will never forget that lesson, and I was so happy I was able to witness that, and 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 that moment um, of Tai teaching that sister, like th- that is a very human moment. That's a very human. Um, teacher and student relationship, you know, and of course, I felt the sister. I saw the sister's eye glow, and I saw her receiving the teachings right away. Brother, I'm really interested because a, a lot of people, as I said, know Thai in a sense very one-dimensionally. <laughs> and one of the things I hear a lot is because um, Thai talks a lot about compassion and about love, and and so there's it's very easy to think of that all as very soft and nice. Mm. But also, I've heard many stories about Thai's fierceness. That mm. compassion isn't necessarily soft. Sometimes it's very fierce, and I would be really interested <laughs> to know. That aspect of Thai, because because most people will never have seen it, experienced it, come across it. Mm. Tell us about what it was like to be in the center of Thai's fierceness. What 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 was it? What was his fierceness? Why? In what ways was he fierce? What, when did he show it? Give us a flavor. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So as a teacher, Thai usually tells us that he has to have. The ability to have the pulse of the community, to know what are our strengths and what are our weaknesses, and able to point out our weaknesses. So I think one of his uh, fierce compassion 
is being able to point out very clearly our weaknesses. And, but doing it from a, a, a space of not putting us down and not like making us inferior, but, sh- but showing us um, that w- we have to improve, we have to do better in order to be able to be a refuge, be, in order to become a more stable practitioner. Um, and one of, I think one of coming back to the question, like one of what are the things that keep him solid is that he's also very disciplined and he is someone who has a schedule that maintains his, his energy throughout the day. Like for example, um, in Plum Village, the community has a schedule, has a, has, um, a schedule that helps guide the whole community how to live harmoniously together and how to practice and work together to support the community. Um, but f- for a teacher like Tai, um, he he follows, I would say, almost like sixty uh, percent of the schedule. Like that, this the, meaning that he he joins with us in the sitting meditations in the morning. He joins the lunch with us, and in the afternoon or evening, depending if we're sitting in the afternoon or evening, he would also join. But then he has his other times where he has to put energy in um, writing books or contemplating a little bit more, having space to contemplate in order to give the appropriate teachings, etc. And one of the things that uh, I think we're, we're, we're continuing trying to transform is our laziness. <laughs> and Tai is someone who is... Like like you said, like whatever you do, if you can do it with one hundred percent, then that's the best you can do. And I feel Tai is always doing everything at one hundred percent, and that is what is intimidating. <laughs> For example, in the Zen tradition, time is very important. Like how we manage time. And we're not supposed to be late for Dhamma talks or for sitting meditation, for walking meditation. In our our activities in the monastery, we always have an activity bell that everyone can hear in the monastery. And it's always invited 15 minutes before um, before the activity. Tai was never late. There was never a time that I was with Tai that we were late. And and just that is in itself, it, it's, it's a kind of um, stability and almost fierceness and 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 because he is always on time, always so present, you feel you feel the energy of mindfulness so alive. In Eastern medicine, we have this thing called spooning, spooning to uh, spooning the the body to 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 remove. We call it removing the wind. So sometimes, like your body, so you're aching so much and you feel you have a cold and it feels like your body's very stiff and very tired. And so what you need to do is you, you have like a kind of oil and you would, you would heat up the body through that oil and gentle massage. And then you use a kind of spoon and you would, and it kind of, it's kind of, it hurts, but it's a healthy kind of pain. So from time to time that Tai would see that there are some things that the community needs to be reminded. For example, the community is coming late for activities. Tai would say, Fapu, for the Dhamma talk, please put the spooning, the, uh, the spooning massage um, spoon on the podium so Tai remembers 
to spoon the community, to remind the community. And of course, you know, whenever Tay does it, though, it's very gentle and it's in a way that is very, um, also it's, like, it's very respectful, but because the intention is there and the way he does it, everybody receives it with real, it's a, it's a direction, it's a guidance, and we, we, we all um, take it in very well. And yes, as a teacher, Tai knows that some students, um, because of their past experience, and some might have bad history with their parents. So when they see Tai, they see him like a father or a mother. And depending on that experience, they would copy and paste that experience on Tai. So Tai is very aware of this and he's very attentive to this. So his way of teaching students individually is also very different. And this is where the skill of a teacher comes in. And this is through experience. And there are some students um, that you have to use sweetness to help them. You have to uh, uh, share very gently how they can improve, show them um, the blind spot, but very tenderly. And there's some students, you got to give it straight. The more you're sweet with them, the more they don't get it. And it's almost like the Zen stick. You got to give a pow. You got to say, hey, stop slacking off, you know. And, and Tai was very... He, very straightforward when it, when the time comes when he needs to do it when he needs to to shine the light on us so that we can see our blind spot he will say what he needs to say but the energy is wanting us to improve and wanting us to see the blind spot and it can hurt a little bit <laughs> but from from that we're able to recognize and see our suffering and and work with it, and then we can have a chance to grow. And and I think as a teacher, as a mindfulness practitioner, you know, you have to have this kind of awareness and this compassion. Yes, the it can be very gentle, and it, but at the same time, it can be, be very straightforward and very fierce in a way, but it all comes from understanding. That's what is important, or else you're just abusing your power. Yeah. One of the things um, Tai talks often about is um, the fact that the Buddha was not a god but a human being, and I and I think by by teaching that, what he's really saying is that actually anyone can be like the Buddha. It's not like the Buddha was a god. Everyone has the opportunity to transform, but also that everyone has his weaknesses. And and he talks a lot about the fact that Bu the Buddha, when he was enlightened, he didn't just stop and stay enlightened. He he needed to practice and needed to keep on working on his, on his stuff. So I'm just wondering, uh, it's easy to mythologize Thai mm. as though, you know, Thai is also, you know, the, the perfect practitioner, the person who never got angry, though he, he was, you know, it's easy to mythologize Thai in the same way that he suggests we don't do with the Buddha. So, so one of Thai's, for instance, his most famous books is Anger. Did Thai get angry? So what, what, what is, what is, what is, what did you see Thai working on? that he needed to continue practicing? Mm. I've seen Tai upset. I've seen um, also moments when Tai was sad, especially when one of his monastic students leaves the community 
and disrobe. And there was a time when many, many, many of my brothers, monastic brothers, were leaving the community. And it was like a shock in the Sangha to know that all of these brothers and sisters who have devoted um, their life and their career to our community and to the path. And yes, I saw a lot of joy in their practice, but of course, everybody has suffering. But to take the step to walk out of the monastic life is always, it's always painful because we've been together for so long and we're so connected. It's kind of like the image that helped me understand this hurt was like we're all trees in a forest and all of our roots are in the soil in the soil and at one point it's all connected and when a tree leaves the forest is um is plucked out or they pluck it themselves out it's connected to our roots and so of course it hurts and i've seen tai try to sometimes tai would ask me what is it gong why do you think they left? Is it Thai? Is it the Sangha? Is it something that we were unable to do? And I think just in those moments, you just see the human side and knowing that even a Zen master can't solve everything. And even sometimes you have seen, you have seen the way out, knowing that you know that if you keep, if you can just be patient with yourself and maintain the practice and stick a little bit longer, you can overcome this. But to also accept, accept these moments where, where you, you're, you're not, you don't have the power to change that. And I've seen this, um, especially as an attendant, like I have to, I have to inform Tai who he's meeting and, what the meeting is about. And for example, I come in to Tai and I said, Tai, um, this brother would like to see Tai and would like to um, disrobe. And so he would like to come and say goodbye. And, you know, a teacher can say, okay, wonderful. Let him come in. Great. He's leaving. No, it's, it's painful. And I, I've seen, I've, I've seen sadness in Tai's face and in Tai's, body his his energy and i think at those moments you just practice accepting the reality not everything is is um is in your your control and i think even with such an influence you know that you can't control everything and in moments like that is when i see his very uh, i see his very human side his, his connection to his student, his connection to his community. And yeah, I want to share this one story, but before that, I just want to say that, and whoever comes and, and, and shares that they want to leave or, or so, of course, deep down inside, Tai knows the reality that they have to leave or there's nothing more Tai can do. But as a teacher, you still want to try one more time. You still want to say, you know, shine the light one more time. Like, are you sure? Like, are you sure you want to leave? And then always say that, but you can always come back. And that, that kind of grace that I always offer them, it's like, if there is a moment that you meet difficulty, you know the community is still your spiritual home. Like, don't lose this, this, 
this refuge, even though that now you take a new form, please still know that we are in you and you are in us because that's the reality. And I think this, this is from the, the teacher's love and um, coping with, with, with the reality of the community is also a practice and learning to accept it. And there was one time, there was a, a student, uh, a sister in the community who was going through a really tough time in the monastic path. And I just want to say the monastic path is not easy, huh? You might think that we just sit and stare at the wall all day. <laughs> it's not as simple as that. It's, you know, walking the path of peace and stability and enlightenment. There's, there's a lot of challenges that we meet and everybody has a different story and everybody has a different path and therefore also their conditions that they that they encounter are very different but this one particular sister was going through a really tough time and I was very close to her actually so I was a very close friend of her and at one point I I saw Tai kept meeting with her to try to encourage try to support to guide her and I was getting frustrated because I felt like Tai was giving so much energy and she wasn't making so much progress. And one day I, I, I asked Tai, I'm like, Tai, why don't you just let go? Because in my eye, I was like, there's no hope. And Tai looked at me and Tai said, you're, you're not a teacher yet. So you don't understand the feeling of a teacher to a student. So one day when you become a, a teacher and you have those who take refuge in you, you will see the connection very differently. And at that moment, I was able to be in touch with Thai's immense love that he has been able to cultivate through the years and through um, having so many students. And we like to be around people who are very happy, very joyful because they give us so much energy and it's very easy to push away someone who's suffering. And for me, I was pushing away someone who is suffering. But for Tai, who, who has more stability, I was able to see Tai's like, deep compassion that if there's still an opportunity to help, Tai will do it. Tai will help. And Tai will not give up. Wow. And, and to this day, like that's, that's something that I still want to cultivate in myself. And now I, I, I don't have students, but I have a lot of younger brothers and sisters in the community. And sometimes I feel so fed up. <laughs> I'm reminded of that moment, of that moment of like, just, yeah, you don't want to regret anything. You want to do everything in your capacity. And I think, I, I just want to say, because I came in, I came in in 2002 where the community was a little bit more developed. And because uh, you, you asked, like, have you ever seen Tai angry? I have, I haven't, Tai has never like act on his anger. I have seen him upset, which is probably can turn towards anger, but he knows how to practice with that. And um, there, there was a, a time in our community when um, our monastery in Vietnam was was uh, meeting difficulty, and we were the brothers and sisters in Prajna Monastery was being evicted 
out of the monastery. And we were powerless in Plum Village. And Thai, as a teacher, knowing that his 400 students in Vietnam is being kicked out of their home, Thai had to practice a lot during that time, embracing his emotions, channeling his love, channeling his peace and his encouragement to his students in Asia. And I remember days when we would, um, I would see Thai practice walking meditation uh, for a much longer length than normal. And I know that Thai is practicing to not lose. This is just my perception, huh? So just not lose be lost in 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 anger, in fear, or in this feeling maybe of despair, but uh, to have clarity in order to know what to do now because this is happening. And uh, those moments were, at those moments, I really felt that Thai and the community was really one. And we we had practices together that we would um we would even say today our peace walk is dedicated to all of our brothers and sisters who are struggling in Vietnam. Our our sitting meditation will also be offered to the ones who are making it difficult for us. You have to embrace both sides. And at those moments, you can see that Thai was also taking refuge in the community. And Thai has a very large body of students and of um of supports and one of the good, one of the things that Thai was really good at was that de- was delegating work and 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 to know that by by himself he cannot do everything but by empowering others to also offer their support was also their way of connecting to Thai so th- like during that specific time like we had brothers and sisters who would um, communicate to the embassies to ask for support and we would even do um, walking peace uh, march in order to just bring awareness to what is happening at that this was like in 2008 2009 so and as a community not to lose ourselves also in despair but to to know that we have to also have clarity and 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 right now they are taking refuge in us so we have to be solid in a way to 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 offer our support to them and and now you know like now all of them are in thailand and then at one point we 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 sponsor a lot of our brothers and sisters to france to germany to our u.s centers etc and during those times like thai wrote a lot of letters a lot of letters to his students and i think this is i this is i i i wish something we would do more in today's in today's um um world in today's society is to express our love for each other and encourage each other of um to continue to nourish our courage our compassion and to see that uh, our nonviolent action, because that's what our brothers and sisters were doing, they were very nonviolent. Whatever was being thrown at them, they were still sitting as a community, peaceful, not reacting um, angrily, and to highlight those moments and to let them know that those action is the continuation of Thai, is the continuation of our spiritual lineage.
I'm aware as as you're talking, um, I feel like there's question after question stacking up in my mind of all the things I want to ask you. And I'm also very aware of time. Mm. So um, like time. Um, So (laughs) I have one final question for now, and I'm sure we can come back to this many in in many ways. But um, I want to talk, ask you about Thai just as a practitioner in his daily life. So Mm. we know about Thai sitting, we know about Thai walking. But I want to ask you about Tai the gardener, mm. because because Tai is so he uses so many metaphors about um, think of yourself as a flower and opening up and the, accepting the the sunshine and we have and and also about you know the flower that dies becomes the compost mm-hmm. and actually we need the compost as as important as the flower so we shouldn't we shouldn't sort of um, judge one as more beautiful than the other etc. But also, Tai was actually a keen gardener. He was. So can you just finally tell us about how was Tai as a gardener? And I, the, part of the reason I ask is because we, I, I haven't had a garden for many, many years, and I, I'm now gardening. And, I, and what I'm aware of is I tend to rush from one thing to the next because there's so much to do, and I think, go and do this, and then I need to do that. And, and I realize I'm not being very um, contemplative in the garden. I want to sit and... And when when I rest, I like to sit and look at the garden, but I realize I'm not such a great practitioner actually doing the gardening. So what would what did Tai do and what was his what would his advice to me be? Enjoy gardening. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I think um, um this is also the practice of like being connected to the environment, connected to nature. Yes, Tai is a very good gardener, a gardener. And at the Hermitage, especially, he has a greenhouse. And we in the greenhouse, we'd have like 10 beautiful orchids, like like big orchids have been taken care of for, for many years. And then different kind of um, trees, bonsais, flowers. He loved um, chrysanthemums. Yeah, every every autumn we would buy like a pot or so. And, and Tai just loves taking care of it. And I think because... Flowers and plants are, they are element of freshness that we need to be connected to. Because in a flower, there's so much beauty in it. And if you can be in touch with that, you use that flower to nourish yourself and knowing, Tai always says, you know, as human beings, we are also flowers in the garden of humanity. And just to be reminded that we also need it to be water. We also need to be cared for. Um, and so I think... In the Zen tradition, we having garden is part of the practice. Like you said, because when you take care of the garden, you cannot rush a tree to grow. You have to enjoy the process of taking care of it, giving it the right fertilizer, giving it the right amount of water, um, when it's the right season to trim it. And we always, Tai has on occasion said, Sometimes Thai student is like that. Sometimes Thai student needs a little bit of watering, tell them how beautiful they are, tell them how wonderful they are. And sometimes they're a little bit low in energy, give them enough fertilizer, boost them up, give them energy, give them a project. And then sometimes they're a little bit arrogant, a little bit... um, have a little bit of ego and you come and you trim it, <laughs> you trim the branches. So I, I've also heard of that metaphor and, and so funny because like in the last two years, 
I'm starting to have some plants in, especially in my office, and and to take care of it, and and seeing um, my relationship to the plant, knowing that if I am taking care of the plant, I that means I have time for it, and then I can have time for myself also. I don't prioritize projects that we create in our minds that we may think that is the most important thing, but and we forget the day-to-day thing. And I think having a garden helps you connect to to reality in the present moment and you can't rush it. And I think that's very important. And sometimes in our culture now, it's so fast-paced. We want like everything instant. We want like instant success, instant happiness, instant noodle. <laughs> so for example, like a plant, it's like, but you can't, you can't force it. Uh, you, you give it time and space to grow, then it will be stronger. The roots have more... Um, energy to take take root, then you know the um, yeah the plant will become much stronger. So you can also reflect on yourself with that to give yourself time, give yourself space. But um, that's just one of the element, and I, I just wanted to share this one is that Thai is always practicing non self also. So as as his attendant, we would always walk out together to the Dharma Hall, and sometimes Thai would tell me. You know, uh, you know, Fapu, when Tai gives the Dharma talk, Tai doesn't feel like it's Tai giving a Dharma talk. Tai feels like Tai, through Tai, the Buddha and all the spiritual ancestors are just coming through to deliver the message. And when I first heard this, when I was um, uh, a young novice, I was like, oh, that's very poetic. You know, that's like, that's very humbling. That's very, you know, that's, 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 a way of just seeing that, to, that I'm not important. But now that I'm a Dhamma teacher and and uh, I have been able to give Dhamma talks in the community, and every time before going to the Dhamma talk, I would also practice just being in touch with um, myself in the present moment. And then at that moment somehow, because I know I'm about to offer a teaching, I know that these teachings are not my own. It is thanks to this whole lineage that has continued, thanks to my teacher who was my closest spiritual ancestor who has offered me this teaching. Therefore, I have some ingredients to offer to the people who comes to listen. And suddenly at that moment when I can touch that, I'm not nervous anymore. And I really feel... I really feel connected and almost I feel empty of myself. And at that moment when you're on the podiums in front of how, however many that's there in the, in the Dhamma Hall, you just feel it's very humbling, but at the same time, very powerful because you, then you don't want to speak any lies, speak any faults, because what you're offering now is not your own. It's a whole lineage. And... The last story I wanted to share was, um, yes, like you mentioned, Tai has written many books. And one day I was at the Hermitage in France. The Hermitage is, is only for monastics. So uh, our lay community has never had the chance to, to go there. But this is, uh, at the Hermitage, Tai has a library. And in his library is where he, where he does um, his research and he writes and he tr- translates uh, sutras and writes more books and in the library he has an altar it's very common um, for us 
we have an altar in it in it where we want to pay respect to um, our spiritual ancestor and our blood ancestors and I know that altar is very is a very sacred place for Thai and that day um, the sisters were coming over at the hermitage and they were presenting Thai a new book that just came out and it's his book of course and they came with a lot of joy and um, enthusiasm it was like Thai your new book just came out we'd like to present it to you and then Tai Tai took the book and Tai Tai brought the book to the altar and I followed Tai and we went into the library Tai then Tai put the book on the altar and then Tai touched the earth three times deeply and at that moment I I did the same thing I followed Tai and I just touched the earth deeply because at that moment Tai was honoring all of the spiritual ancestor and blood ancestors that have come together and allowed Tai to be who he is. But it is not because of him that this book is present. It is through all of all of the past ancestors that have have shown the way and offered the teachings that suddenly that now Tai has the ingredients to 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 um, to offer this book. And that that moment, I was so humble, Joe. I I was very touched. I was, I was very emotional, and I, I I touched the earth with Ty because the first thing he did, he he didn't, you know, you don't praise yourself, you don't do, you don't say let's congratulate. Like, but the first thing we Ty did was he brought the book to the altar, respectfully, and then touched the earth deeply three times. And after that, we drank a cup of tea to enjoy the the birth of a new book. So Fapu, that's, that's a beautiful story. And it, it, I don't know why exactly, but what came up in my mind as you were talking just now is um, is when I was once in Plum Village and Thai had just given a Dharma talk and it was, it was very, it was winter and it was misty and rainy outside. And Thai gave this brilliant talk, you know, full of insight and deep understanding and felt, you know, wow, this is extraordinary. And then at the end, he put on his rather grubby jacket that is <laughs> that I can see through the window into his tiny living room here, and uh, and you went out with him, and and I remember you you opened up the umbrella and held it over Ty's head, and you just walked slowly into the mist and disappeared in the mist, and and it and it was there was something very I can't quite explain it, but there was something very powerful about Ty being absolutely present in his fullness and then just walking out the hall in a in his old jacket and disappearing into the mist and uh and i I, there was something about who ty deeply is that he's he's completely present Mm -hmm. but also invisible as a (laughs) he's invisible but the teaching is is full and 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 because he's made himself invisible it allows the teachings to speak for themselves we're often that as you say the teacher often thinks they are the owner of the teachings and so they are the important person whereas Tai always faded into the background Mm. and the teachings were very alive Mm. well i'm as I said, we could go on for hours, but I think we ought to uh, to stop. But also, um, just to thank you, Fatpu, for for allowing us in actually mm. to a very um, intimate 
uh, time you had with Thai. Yeah, thank you, Joe, and thank you, listener. Yeah, it feels uh, very, very, um, yeah, very emotional because uh, just remembering the times I've had with Thai, and just to also be reminded that Thai is also a human being, and as a human being. He was able to just cultivate the practice and keep true to his aspiration and keep true to his his ethics also and his uh, direction. And I'm still to to today, still very um, uh, motivated just through uh, remembering his his practice and his way of being. And um, I, I hope that uh, all of us who listen, we know that uh, we all have. The ability to also cultivate these practices in our daily life, and I think uh, for some of us who have already practiced with Plum Village, Thai always says um, you can always connect through Thai just by mindful breathing. And to all of our new friends, um, the spiritual dimension is not far away; is uh, within your own breath, is within your own capacity of connecting to the present moment. And this is something um, that uh, he has said. On multiple occasions, saying that you don't have to be Buddhist to practice meditation, because as long as we're breathing, we all have the chance to practice. And now, Brother Fat Pu, could you please take us through a guided meditation?、Uh, wherever you are listening to this podcast, whether you're sitting on、uh, on your sofa, you are in a train, on the bus, commuting, or you are going for a walk. If you can、um, find and give yourself a little bit of time to just pause, either sit down or just stand still. Now allow ourselves to、uh, come back to our mindful breathing. Just be aware of the in breath that is happening. Aware of the out breath that is following with that in breath, and tell yourself, say to yourself. Breathing in, this is my in breath. Breathing out, this is my out breath. Oh, my in breath. Oh, my out breath. Just let your breath be natural. Guide your mind. Let it dwell with the breathing. If it is short. Allow it to be short. If it is long, allow it to be long. Now stay with the breath from the beginning to the end. And breathing in, there is life inside of you. Breathing out, there is life all around you. In breath, life inside of you. Out breath, life all around you. Breathing in, I am of the nature of life. Breathing out, I am also of the nature of impermanence, of change. Thanks to the change, I'm able to grow, become stronger, 
have more understanding, allowing myself to learn from my suffering. Breathing in, I am of the nature of change. Breathing out, I accept change. Breathing in, I am of the nature to grow old. Breathing out, there is no way to escape growing old. Breathing in, breathing out, I want to live and enjoy my life more deeper so I don't take for granted my well-being. Breathing in, I am of the nature to have ill health. Breathing out, there is no way to escape ill health. If you can breathe in easily right now, enjoy that in-breath. If you are relaxed and well in the body, breathe out and enjoy that wellness in the body. Because of this nature, I could learn to take care of myself more deeper in every day. Breathing in. I am of the nature to die. Breathing out, there is no way to escape death. Breathing in, I am alive. Breathing out, I am also of the nature to die. With this insight, I can look at life more deeper, enjoying the conditions that I have in my daily life. Let us say thank you to the wonderful conditions that we have encountered today, so that one day when we have to let go, we can smile. Breathing in, all that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature to change. Breathing out, there is no way to escape being separated from them. With this insight, we value the friendships that we have the loved ones that support us, our teachers, our friends. Next time you see someone that you love, tell them, I know you are there and I am very happy. This is the practice of gratitude. Not taking for granted all the supports you have in life. 
And also, you are a support to so many other people. Allow that to nourish you, to give you strength. Breathing in, my actions are my only true belongings. I cannot escape the consequence of my actions. Breathing out, my actions are the ground upon which I stand. We all will leave a mark, a legacy on our planet. Know that what we think, what we say, and what we do all have impact. So allow yourself to be mindful of your actions in daily life. Be mindful of what you say as it has profound effect. And be mindful and take care of the thoughts that are generated throughout the day as they all are impacts that we leave behind. Let us cultivate understanding, love, non-discrimination, and compassion in our daily life so they can be carried along with our actions of thought, speech, and daily action. Breathing in, just feel that breath. Breathing out, I relax. So, dear listeners, if you've enjoyed this episode of The Way Out Is In, um, then you can find uh, all the other episodes on uh, Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on all other platforms that carry podcasts. And also, as usual, um, a special mention to our own Plum Village app. This is Joe Confino. And I'm Brother Fapu, and this podcast was brought to you by Plum Village and the TNH Foundation. Yeah.